Welcome Desert Breeze. So glad you're worshiping with us. Let's sing together of the freedom found in Jesus Christ.
in 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morning. The sins they are many. His mercy is more. So tender, He's calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. That because of his death and resurrection, we are free. We praise you, God, that you have given us freedom from sin. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we ask that by your grace and your mercy, you would open our eyes to the truth in your word as we hear your word preached. We love you, and it's in your precious name that we say together, amen. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. We are so happy that you have joined us. We are no doubt a church without walls. We, we kicked off a new teaching series last weekend, Easter Sunday, and we titled it Unshakable Identity. And we talked last weekend uh, about how we are a new creation uh, and we have a brand new life. We have been born again. And it's absolutely amazing. 
And this week we're talking about that we are free. Now keep in mind, this is our identity. We are free, redeemed by the Son. And uh, if you have your Bibles, in fact, I would encourage you to grab your Bibles. We're not going to read the whole text up front. I'm going to work through the points and then read the text that corresponds to those points. And so hit the pause button, go grab your Bible. Also, you can grab your sermon notes. Uh, You can download those on our website. And so make sure you do that. You will get so much more out of the study if you do. Um, Let me start. You can see if you've got the sermon notes in front of you, you can see this on the introduction of the sermon notes. And I want to make this very clear. God is not a restrictor, but a liberator. Whatever you give up to follow him, and by the way, you will give up things, you will repent, turn from sin, and believe in him, and there'll be things that you will give up, but whatever you give up to follow him is nothing whatsoever what you will find in him. And and so you are never freer than when you are fully, when you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to define freedom here a little bit because that's what we're talking about. We're free, redeemed by the Son. If you were to ask people in our culture, in American culture, what is freedom, they would probably say, freedom is doing whatever you want to do. But that's not the biblical definition of freedom. Actually, freedom isn't doing whatever you want to do, but doing what you were created to do. The fish must honor its design. It is designed for water and not for land. We were designed to know, love, and serve God. And when we do that faithfully, oh my goodness, we flourish. That's what you were created to do, to to know and love and serve the God of the galaxies. And when you do that faithfully, you will flourish. Galatians 5.1, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, because we are free, redeemed by the Son, as a Christian, it is possible to live, and here's your first fill in the blank, it is possible to live a life without condemnation. And that's based on verses 1 and 3 of our text. We're covering this whole chapter, Romans chapter 8. It's a phenomenal chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters. But uh, this no condemnation is based on verse 1. And then there's an explanation in verse 3 of this no condemnation. Let me read it here for you. He says, Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And literally, the Greek means no, not ever. No, not ever. And then he explains it here in verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. He's just basically he's saying that, that Christ is our substitutionary atonement so that we can be reconciled to God. So all of our sin debt was placed upon Jesus, and then we received his righteousness, and therefore there is therefore no condemnation. Uh, in us. Now, here's the truth. It's uh, your next couple fill in the blanks. Here's the truth. God has forgiven me and will never hold my sins against me. 
Now, let me ask this question. Why do we need to be forgiven anyway? Why is this such a big deal? It's because we have exchanged the treasure that God is for for lesser things we love more. And we have treated Jesus as less desirable than, than our money and our entertainment and our family and friends, Romans 1, 22 through 23. And the reason all of us deserve to perish is not because of a list of rules that we have broken, but because of the infinite value of Christ that we have scorned. That's Romans 6, 23. Now, when it comes to condemnation, there are some that believe that you can uh, move back and forth and in and out of this condemnation. So when you come to Christ, you repent, you believe, there's no condemnation. But then there are those that believe that, but if you sin while you're a believer, then you're back under that, common, uh, that condemnation. And, and, and then when you repent and believe again, then you're out of that condemnation. That is not true. That is, uh, that is really a bad understanding of, of, this, of these verses. And, and in fact, God has nothing against us. He finds no fault in us. He finds nothing to punish us for. There can never be condemnation for us. Literally, that's what he's saying. There can never be condemnation for us. Our condemnation is gone forever. That is amazing. That is breathtaking. There is nothing but welcome and acceptance for us in Christ Jesus. So when you do sin as as a believer, it is not a legal matter putting us under God's condemnation, but it is a personal relationship and love matter. It is breaking of God's heart. So we still confess and repent of our sins, but there will never be any condemnation over us. We are set free from the law as a way of acceptance, but obliged to keep it as a way of holiness and honoring God. Now now listen to these verses, Psalm 103. This is another great chapter in the Bible And he just covers all the different benefits that we have in God. And this is what he says in verses 10 through 13 of Psalm 103. It goes right along with what we're talking about here. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's that's fantastic. Notice what he says in verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So so how do you know, how do you know that you're not living in the reality of no condemnation? Or how do, you, how do I know that I am living in the reality of no condemnation? That's a better question. And I, gave, I, I have a list here. Let me walk through this. I'll walk through it slowly so that you can examine your own life. So how do I know that I am living in the reality of no condemnation? Here's the first thing. You won't be harassed by overwhelming guilt and shame over your past sins. 
and, uh, and even present sins, there, there will be a, a measure of guilt and shame, but that should drive you to Christ for confession and forgiveness and, and, and healing. First uh, John 1, 9. And here's the next one. You won't be driven by a need to prove yourself. If you really understand that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, you, will, you won't be driven by a need to prove yourself. Here's another one. You won't be defensive and oversensitive to criticism. You won't lack confidence and authenticity in relationships. You won't have an addictive behavior. Uh, I, I believe that most addictive behaviors, any addiction is very shame and guilt based. And that's what drives addictions. You won't obey out of fear and duty, but out of love and gratitude. You won't be unforgiving and bitter toward those who have sinned against you. In other words, you're going to have a very forgiving heart. When you understand how much God has forgiven you, you can't help but forgive others. Because what he has forgiven us is beyond what we'll ever have to forgive others. And so because we are free, redeemed by the Son, as a Christian, it is possible to live a life without condemnation. And here's the second one. It's on your notes. Next fill in the blank. That we can live a life without domination. Now, God doesn't just defeat sin legally, sets us free from the penalty of sin, but he defeats sin actually in our lives. He sets us free from the power of sin. That's what this means here. And by the way, the first, uh, no condemnation, is really about justification, and this point is about uh, sanctification. Now, look at verses 2. And then the explanation is found in verse 4, and we'll read all the way to verse 11 in Romans chapter 8. Listen to what he says, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has, has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That, that word law means force or power. So the power of the spirit of life has set us free from the power of of the law of sin and death. In other words, you've heard me say this statement, I'm sure, many times, is that the power of sin's promise is broken by the power of God's promise for us. And, and that's what he's talking about there. And notice what he says. He, he explains it in verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us, but in us. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And notice what he says, it will be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. What does that mean? Well, that means your sinful nature. It means living for your glory. It means self-centeredness. The essence of sin is, is really a self-absorption or self, self-centeredness. So who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That would be living for God's glory as opposed to living for your own glory or, or living... Uh, a God-centered life as opposed to a self-centered life. Verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So either you have the Spirit of Christ or you don't have the Spirit of Christ. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you belong to God. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, think about this. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Okay, now here's the next fill in the blank. Here's the truth. And you notice with each of these points, I, 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 I give you a truth. And here's the truth. I don't have to be controlled by anyone or anything. A life without domination. In, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, this is what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, he's talking to followers of him, uh, followers of Christ, and he says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. So what makes us truly his disciples? We abide in his word, which means we make our home in his word. We meditate on it. We reflect on it. We memorize it. We, we study it diligently. And so if we, we, we dwell in his word, we are truly his disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth brings freedom. So there's this idea of almost this progressive freedom that we have the more we get to know our Savior Jesus and how we have been redeemed by him. Now, how do you know you are enslaved? Because I think there's a lot of Americans would say, no, I'm not enslaved by anything. That would probably what they would say. So how do you know you are enslaved? Well, verse 5 of the text which we just read, makes a contrast between setting your mind on the things of the flesh versus setting your mind on the things of the spirit. So wherever your mind goes most naturally and freely when there is nothing else demanding your attention is what you are setting your mind on and, and ultimately what you're living for. So let me ask you this question. What do you do in your solitude? I know, I know we're living in a time right now where we have a whole lot more solitude than we've ever had. So what are you doing during that time? What do you do in your solitude? Because you'll discover what you're actually living for. Are you binging on Netflix or binging on Jesus? The reason we binge on Netflix is because we love it more than we love Christ. I know, no, I, I understand some of you will probably say, hey, hey, I have a hard time sitting and focusing and praying and I can't do that for any length of time. Listen to, to me. If you fell in love with the author of the book, I mean, you would eliminate anything that would distract you from growing in your relationship with him because there's nothing better. You will binge on Jesus, believe me. And what you'll do in your solitude is that uh, you will spend time with him and love him and enjoy him and, and read more about him and study more about him and memorize and meditate on scripture. Matthew six twenty one it says, for where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So what do you do in your solitude? It's a great question, very convicting question. To mind the things of the Spirit is to be preoccupied by the things that preoccupy the Spirit. And so what are those things? Well, it's the rest of Romans 8. 
um, that we are adopted, loved, welcomed in Christ, and so we are to be preoccupied with all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. Now, here's our big problem, though. I've already alluded to it. We tend to exchange the truth of God for a lie. We worship and serve created things more than the Creator, and that's Romans 1.25. And so here's our big problem is that we tend to ignore God, distrust God, demean God, and give him less attention in our hearts than we give thinking about our next meal or our next purchase or our next movie. You see, whatever dominates your thoughts, stirs your deepest emotions, and moves you to action is ultimately what you are living for. I I read, uh, it was from the New York Post, April 14th, 2020. I actually heard this Uh, first on a national newscast, but I went and did some research on it and looked at this. And this is what it says. I'll just give you just a couple excerpts from it. Since the coronavirus shutdown began, nearly 17 million Americans have lost their jobs. Now it's up to about 22 million that have lost their jobs. If the shutdown drags on, as many public health experts recommend it should, it is almost certain to kill more Americans than the virus Americans are likely to die from suicide and drug overdoses as a result of layoffs. And then it says, deaths by despair. Deaths by despair. You see, anything you look to more than God for your your sense of purpose or security and significance is idolatry. And idolatry is loving anything more than you love God. Now, you need to understand that there is a major difference between sorrow and despair. It's okay to be sorrowful over the loss of a good thing. Sorrow happens when we lose a good thing, but, but we are consolable. Despair happens when we lose an ultimate thing, when a good thing, like a marriage or kids or a job, goes from a good thing to an ultimate thing. And in that, we are not, we are totally inconsolable. And and so verse 6 of what we just read says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So because, because we are free, redeemed by the Son, as Christians, it is possible to live a life without condemnation, domination. And here's the third one. It's on your notes there. A life without intimidation. A life without intimidation. Verses 12 through 17. Let me read them here. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not, this is, this is a key verse here, uh, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I love that verse. In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I'm going to go in more detail next week on those verses. We're going to go back to that text and kind of dissect it and and look at it uh, in much more depth as we talk about uh, our adoption and beloved by our Father and what that means. That's That's the third one on this list of unshakable identity characteristics. So here's the truth. Here's the truth. I don't have to fear anyone or anything. Why? Because verse 15, we just read it. For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. (laughs) But we have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And, And of course, there's a lot of other verses like... Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then Psalm 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So, so let me ask you this question. How, how do I know, and maybe some of you are asking this even right now, how do I know that I'm living a fearless life free from anxiety and worry? Well, you'd be free from anxiety and worry, of course. But how do you know that you're truly living this this fearless life? Let me ask you a question here. Who is the only one who dares to wake up a king or a president at 3 a.m. in the morning for a glass of water? (laughs) His child, his child, And we have that kind of attention, affection, and action from God. That's what verse 15 is telling us. He hears your cry in a way a parent hears the painful cry of their child. And so, for a child of God, you can live every day with confidence and boldness. Every day. As a child of God, you can live a life of confidence and boldness every day. You don't ever have to walk in fear of anyone or anything because your father owns the place. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's loving. He's wise. Oh, my goodness. I I love the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) They're a great example uh, of this in Daniel chapter 3 verses 16 through 18 remember they were threatened with the fiery furnace if they refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's golden image of himself and and let me paraphrase a little bit of how they how they uh, talk to the king they say oh King Nebuchadnezzar we are not intimidated in the least bit our God can save us will save us and even if he doesn't save us we are not going to bow down because we believe in his loving, wise, sovereign hands. Our lives are in his loving, wise, sovereign hands. That's, that's in essence what they were saying. They knew that the same loving, wise sovereignty that could stop the fiery furnace, and for us it would be the uh, coronavirus, yet may not, so let me say that again, they knew that the same loving, wise sovereignty that could stop the fiery furnace yet may not is the same loving, wise sovereignty that can sustain and sweeten the soul in the fiery furnace. 
You are immortal till Christ's work for you to do is done. So because we are free, redeemed by the Son, as a Christian, it's possible to live a life without condemnation, domination, intimidation. Yeah, I'm gonna give you another Asian here. Number four, a life without desperation. A life without desperation. Let me read verses 18 through 25. That's what it's based on in our text. And listen to what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, which was God. God subjected, it's really a curse. All the suffering that we see on this planet Earth is a curse because of our, our rebellion against God. And so he subjected us to this, this curse. All of this, this suffering that has come as a result of our sin in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, that our hearts would be drawn back to God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. He's just talking about suffering the difficulties that we face in life, the hardships, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for him with patience. Here's the truth. I can suffer well. I can suffer well because God fills me with hope. Now, how do I know my heart is truly full of hope? Uh, Let me give you a hypothetical situation. Imagine that you are diagnosed with terminal cancer. Your doctor sits down with you and talks to you about your odds of survival. So when you hear that the odds are against you, maybe only a 5% chance of survival with this kind of cancer, you will be crushed with despair, there's no doubt. But if the odds are for you, in other words, they said that you have a 95% of the people survive this cancer, Um, you're going to be filled with hope. You're going to have more hope. Now, let me explain something to you here, that as Christians, our hope is not in the odds. Our hope is in God. Regardless of what the odds are, no matter what people are saying, when everything will go back to normal, regardless of the odds, our hope is in Christ. Our hope is not in the sand of probability, but in the rock of certainty in Christ Jesus. Our hope is not in the odds, but in the one who is in control of the odds. And so here's what God is doing. One of many things that God is doing in this coronavirus, in our suffering. You could actually say what he's doing in in our suffering in general, anytime that we suffer. 
He is showing us vividly and painfully that nothing in this world gives the security and satisfaction that we find in the infinite greatness and goodness and worth of Jesus. He is calling the world to repent while there is still time. Now, Romans 15, 13, this is a verse that the ladies have taken up to memorize in our church along with other verses, and and I've been memorizing the verses along with them. But I, I love this, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. How do you know that your heart is filled with hope? You're gonna have joy and peace as you trust in God. And not only will you have that, but he says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The word abound there means it's like a river overflowing its banks. He says, man, you will be overflowing with with hope. By the way, the word hope uh, is not how we typically use it in our culture, in American culture. It's not wishful thinking, but it's confident, joyful expectation. God's got this. He's got me covered. He's going to take care of me. He always has my best interest at heart. So hope keeps people from committing suicide. Hope helps people to get out of bed in the morning and live with purpose. Hope gives meaning to life even when you are quarantined and have to stay at home. Hope liberates from fear, selfishness, and bitterness. Hope empowers love and risk-taking and sacrifice. And so our hope is not in the odds. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. Because we are free, redeemed by the Son, as a Christian, it is possible to live a life without condemnation, a life without domination, intimidation, and desperation. And now, number five, a life without exasperation. (laughs) Have you ever been exasperated? I have many times. It's one of those situations, maybe you're already there with, with the circumstances that surround us with this coronavirus When is this going to be over? That's exasperation. Or how am I going to get through this? Let me read verses 26 through 30 of our text. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when we're exasperated by life, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I think he's describing exasperation where we just get to those points where we kind of throw up our hands. We just go, what am I going to do? I don't even know how to pray. I'm frustrated. And he says that the Spirit intercedes for us through those groanings. And he searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes For the saints, according to the will of God, God's will is being worked out in our lives. In uh, verse 28, I'm sure you're familiar with this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is his purpose? Well, it's the next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is up to. He's wanting our lives to be shaped by being more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what what it means to be a Christian, a little Christ. And so he's wanting to conform our life into the image of his son. 
in, in, order that he, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's wanting to add to his family. And then he goes on and he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now here's the truth. It's your next fill in the blank on your notes. God will strengthen me and weave my sin and suffering into his best for my life. That, that's the truth that these verses are, are telling us. Now, how do I know that I'm living a life without exasperation? Well, when life gets really, really hard, you don't have a meltdown or you don't blow up and you don't look for a way to medicate the pain but you let all of the pain, all the suffering, all the hardship drive you deeper into Christ's love and truth. And that will make you wiser, stronger, and more satisfied in Christ Jesus. Now, how do you get over uh, past hurts? Because he talked about for, for God uh, works everything for our good those that love him, he's working all circumstances out for our good. But what if you've had a really traumatic past? How, how does that work? And, and how do you get through that? How do you work through that? Um, how do you get over your past hurts? Well, here's what I've learned through the years as it relates to my own past hurts is that you can get to a place where you can recall those past, hurt, past hurts, but you don't relive them. And... Um, they don't wrap you up emotionally anymore. You can talk about it very, very objectively, not subjectively with those feelings. And, and you can do what, um, what Joseph did. Remember the story of Joseph? He was stripped naked, thrown in a pit, um, sold into slavery, and through providential hand of God over 15, 16 years, uh, he was second in command of Egypt and uh, quite spectacular. And, um, and so as he's second in command of Egypt, guess who shows up? His brothers, because there's a famine in the land. And this is what he does, and it's, it's just a beautiful verse. It's, it's the Old Testament, uh, Romans 8.28. It's, it's Genesis 50.20. And what you're going to be able to do, and this is what he did, he looked his perpetrators in the eyes and said, you intended to harm me. So he was in touch with reality. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And God will do the same for you, that you'll be able to look at those past hurts and even in the eyes of your perpetrator and say, hey, you intended to harm me. There's no doubt about it. But God intended it for good for what is now being done. God will recycle your pain and use you to make an impact in other people's lives. And, and so that's how you know you're getting over those past hurts. Neither Satan nor sickness nor sinful man is sovereign. Only God is sovereign. Only God. He is loving wise and in control and is always working for our good in his glory. Now, because we are free, redeemed by the Son, 
as a Christian, it is possible to live a life without condemnation, domination, intimidation, desperation, and exasperation. Here's our last one. I actually had eight, but I condensed it down to six. <laughs> so, uh, and I could probably come up with even more from this chapter because this chapter is so rich. But here's the last one. That we can live a life without separation. We're talking about separation from God. Look at verses 31 through 39. This is where we uh, end the chapter, the rest of the chapter right here. Verses 31, 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's gospel logic. He's just saying, hey, if God, if God met our greatest need, which was going to be eternal perishing apart from him, then he will take care of all of our lesser needs. If he didn't spare his son in taking care of our greatest need, He's not going to spare anything in taking care of your daily needs. That's how much he loves you. That's what he's saying here. And he goes on. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? That's Jesus, who indeed is interceding for us. So we not only have the Holy Spirit interceding for us, but we have... Christ interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or, so, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So he's just saying, even in the midst of the worst kind of suffering, We cannot be separated from God's love and God's work and God's care of us. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's our last truth here based on that text. And so we can live a life without separation. God will meet all my needs and nothing outside of myself can keep me from enjoying intimacy with God. And so how do I know that I truly believe that God will meet all of my needs? Well, you're going to be a very contented person, regardless of your circumstances. There will be a sense of, of contentment in, in all circumstances. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What is he talking about there? Contentment. And what is contentment? Contentment is an internal, gracious, quiet spirit. So it's internal It's an internal work. It's not based on our circumstances, internal, gracious. It's because we have God's favor in us, and he begins to do this work in our life. Internal, gracious, quiet spirit. So that eliminates any uh, bitterness over the past or, or complaining about the present or worry about the future. So that's a quiet spirit that joyfully rests in the presence and the providence of God. So how do I know that God is, is with me? How do you know that God is with you, regardless of what you're going through? Well, I know 
that God is with me, not because I can see his hand in my circumstances, but many times I can't see his hand in my circumstances, but it's because I see his heart on the cross and I see his help in his infallible, inerrant word. I see his many promises that he gives to me and he has promised me never to leave me or forsake me. Hebrews 3, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And and literally the Greek means, no, not ever. He will never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. And by the way, you need to know this, that if you really are serious about your relationship with Christ, God reveals himself to us in direct proportion to how much we want him. How much do you want him? Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So because we are free, redeemed by the Son, As a Christian, it is possible to live a life without condemnation, domination, intimidation, desperation, exasperation, and separation. Next weekend, we're going to talk about how we are adopted. We are adopted, beloved by the Father. It's Romans 8, 14 through 17. Don't forget to join us Sunday night at 6 uh, on Facebook Live as we work through the growing notes. And at the end of this prayer, stay tuned for our building update. And so let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So glorious Father God, you are indescribably great and unimaginably good. And we know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. And oh, how truly rich we are in him. It is breathtaking. And and through repentance and faith in him, in Christ Jesus, we are redeemed and free to live our lives for your glory because you are able to make all grace abound to us so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, Amen. Love you guys very much. God bless you. Desert Breeze, Josh here. Good to see you guys. We miss you. Got some really exciting news for you. Phil and I are going to walk you through what's been going on. Let's go take a look. Clearly, we are coming a long way. This is such a blessing to us. I want to take a minute and thank you all for your continued prayers, your continued giving. Such a blessing to us. I, for one, am astonished at God, how he has providentially provided for this church, for us to continue to preach his word, to proclaim Christ crucified, and to minister and teach the good news of the gospel to the city and to the world. We love and miss you guys. We'll see you soon.